Hello. Yeah, it's working now. Yeah. It does this weird thing sometimes where, like, at the beginning when I'm trying to call somebody on Facebook, if they're trying to call me at the same time or something, it's like neither one gets through. So, yeah, I think that's what happened. But how are you? I'm good this evening. Um, I'm, I've been uh, really stressed because... I see every day uh, the dark side is progressing, moving forward. They're putting up chain link fences around the church there in Stony Plain, Alberta, so that the parishioners cannot attend the church. Are you I, serious? I, yes. Now, I know this is an act of treason. I, uh, I, I, I had other lawyers tell me that I know stuff way above their level, their pay grade. They don't get taught to stuff in law school. Of course not. I familiarize myself with. So I understand there's a treason taking place here in this country that's styled as Defender of the Faith in the Royal Style and Titles Act. That's an act of Parliament. It didn't get put there just for fluff. It's, nothing gets put there just for fluff. I say that all the time, and man, we got some really... like I, I do have a list of questions I'd like to ask you, but man... Oh, sure. Okay. Well, no, 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 Let, let's not even go there yet, because this is, this is the beauty of talking with you, and... Um, I just set up a little microphone on my computer so that it's basically recording the audio in my room, and I think that's going to work fine. I'm going to upload it to a podcast later. But the reason that um, I, I want it to be basically as 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 raw as possible because um, I want people to sort of have a firsthand view of what it's like to be kind of one of the people in this movement. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not I'm not affiliated with a whole bunch of people or anything like that. I don't know. I don't think you are either. But, I mean, that's just it. We've basically been working independently, doing our own research, and coming to the same conclusions in different ways. I have a really interesting story to tell you today. I'm going to let you finish your story about what's going on in Alberta there with the chain-link fences and all that and what you were saying about treason because I've got another one on that note, and okay. I'm going to go after them for treason. I really am. And because they're actually compelling me against my will in order to continue to receive Ontario Works benefits. They are compelling me against my will to apply for a birth certificate. Now, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And so if they are asking me, after I've explained to them that, listen, that represents a pledge of the wealth of my life to the government that they are then using as a security deposit to, do, to secure loans from a private institution that is giving money to Canada at interest at the expense of the people because it never enters the economy, that interest rate. So they are effectively enslaving our people and you are asking me to aid and abet that crime and compelling me to do so in order to continue to receive benefits? I believe you're committing treason against the country. You're definitely breaching the trust of government, and you're definitely guilty of fraud. Um, I, think, I think it's easier if you just say it violates my faith and beliefs. Fair and true. Because um, yeah, the other way, when you do it simply like that, it puts them right away on the defensive. They don't really, there's not much to argue about with that. There's no assumptions they can make. You said it's one sentence. It violates my faith and beliefs. Uh, uh, whereas when we go into the long dialogue, you know, we want to be communicative and we do our best and sometimes we overdo it, we leave ourselves a whole bunch of opportunities for them to say, oh, I'm going to assume this now and I'm going to assume that now and okay, you got an argument over here and it, it's just, it ends up complicated where our intent initially 
was to simplify it, but then our honor goes a bit too far because we over-explain ourselves. That's true. I agree with you on every point there. And um, the only reason that I'm, I'm thinking about taking the angle that I am is because, I, like you, I, I want to take the simplest route possible. Um, basically what happened is I had what I thought was a really positive conversation with somebody over at Ontario Works, um, I don't know, last year, maybe fall, um, where I'd complained that they were, you know, asking for doctor's approval or something and whatever. And I said, look, you know, I've revoked my consent to be governed with Canada's attorney general. Um, you have those notices on your file for me. Um, I understand that you don't know how to close all that stuff out, but you know, just be patient with me while I do. Here's the UN covenant on civil and political rights. <laughs> you know, I do have the right to, you know, um, autonomy over my health care, over my life. Um, I also have autonomy over my right to freely dispose of my natural wealth without prejudice to foreign obligations. Um, you know, and we talked about that covenant, and she admitted to me on the phone. She, first of all, she calls me. She addresses me as King Sean House of Anden. Super, super nice. Says that she's taken a look at the UN Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. She didn't know that it had existed before. Um, and she thanked me for opening her eyes to it because she didn't know that it existed. But she most certainly has uh, respect for and acknowledges those rights and wants to let me know that she supports those rights too. And blah 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 so and and that yeah she was basically fine to they wouldn't help me but they would at least be patient with me while i tried to sort out these matters with the canadian government they were going to try and respect and acknowledge my right of self-determination etc so i thought okay fine they just came back and put in writing that you do not have the right to revoke the city is not of the opinion that you may revoke your consent to be governed and I'm just like, really? <laughs> really? Okay. Well, you know what? You just put that in writing. So that yeah, is... In the Anselm court case of 2004, back to them, because what they're saying is we have an assumption contract with you, and it's binding. That's what they're saying. Right. You don't have the right to revoke it. So when you send them the Anselm decision, if you've not read it, it's a, it says faith kills a contract. Okay. It's cut to the chase, man. Oh, it's a heavy-duty case. It's a Jewish couple up against a condo board who tried to take down their sukkah tent, claiming that it would violate the contract to leave it up. Yeah. The Supreme Court of Canada said... Oh, I did read this. Yes, that's right. Well, that's what you send back to them uh, to educate. But they're nice about saying, well, you, you, your legal advisor may not have familiarized himself with this case. I'm putting you on notice on revoking the contract to the extent the defense by faith and beliefs and any affiliation with a dead person in law is a deliberate violation of my faith and intimidation to affiliate myself with such thing is a criminal code violation. You may also wish to refer him to 423 of the criminal code and 180 because he has made me feel very uncomfortable by inferring to you that you as a corporate entity had the authority to come and intimidate me to violate my faith on the assumption of a corporate contract yeah exactly <laughs> that is that is so well spoken um wow yeah so so it's recorded right 
Uh, yeah, uh, everything we're talking about right now is recorded, and uh, I'm, I'm going to broadcast it pretty much as is. Um, but you know what? I haven't done a little intro to the show, so let me do that, because uh, this will okay. be our prequel. Um, so I'm just going to tell everybody who's listening right now, uh, thank you for being here. Um, today I have on the show Edward J. Robin Ballinger, or Minister Edward J. Robin Ballinger, and I'm going to ask him about that in a little bit and see if there's any significance behind using the word minister or having that associated with your name um, for any legal purposes or rights affirmations that you want to exercise. And what we're hoping to focus on on this podcast is basically an individual's right to live as God intended for us to live. Um, every single one of us was gifted a kingdom from God. That's our mind, body, and soul. And we are the exclusive kings and queens in that kingdom. Um, so that's the kingdom we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about some of the tools that maybe can help to allow us to, you know, solve the puzzle, get out of this matrix. Um, so I'm calling this episode Genesis, uh, because it all begins with that presumption that, uh, our friend Jay was just talking about um, the presumption of a corporate contract that you are now bound by um, in violation of your faith. And so we're going to elaborate on that idea. Uh, but yeah, it all starts with the uh, record of live birth, which then produces the birth certificate and then the social insurance number. And then that sets up the health insurance plan. And then you get the driver's license and it all just it's all just one big ball of corporate corporate nonsense. Um, so thank you very much, Edward, for being here. <laughs> Was that an all right intro? Thank you very much, Sean. Um, the, the first thing I'd like to bring to the listeners' attention is there's the old man, once you've discovered some new information that would change your life, there's the old man. And that old man has that family name, as you mentioned, Belanger. Uh, which is up on my Facebook page by Facebook's insistence that I put it there, and they were going to shut down my page. Same here. <laughs> yeah, so at any rate, I don't affiliate with, I put that name in square brackets. I have Service Canada, whenever they communicate to me, to put small m on the word minister in front of my name, Edward J. Robin. And I said, if you want to use that family name that's yours and you have title to it, you've got to put square brackets around it. And they address with no postal code. Good. And so sure enough, that's how they send it. Well, I put a demand upon them for accommodation and asked their director to show what hardship they would go to by taking the postal code off and using a postage stamp. Wow. Okay, well, I, you know what? I'm just going to touch on that a little bit because mail really is important, isn't it? it? It is if you do not wish to affiliate with the dead and you wish to extract yourself. It's a bit-by-bit bit process, but once you discover that if you're using a postal code, you're literally in bed with the dead, yeah. then naturally one might be wishing to incline their way out of it and, and say, listen, I can no longer do this. It violates my faith and belief. And unless your statute code and regulation authorizes you to intimidate, to violate my faith and belief, you're going to go to a hardship to accommodate me in this matter. Yeah. Now I'm gonna. I'm just gonna touch on one of the things I do. Um, I don't know if I've I've shared this with you, but uh, what I do to take care of the mail thing, because, um, and I'll share my perspective on it as well. Because you're right. You don't really want to be communicating with the dead. 
Um, I am. <laughs> I'm communicating with the dead on a regular basis because, uh, you know, I'm still working with um, those ministries of the Canadian government. And I'm basically going forward on the presumption um, of a basic common man. Like, I have, you know, I had to study all of this for a lot of years to get to the level of understanding I'm at now. My position on this, though, is that nobody should need to. Nobody should need to do the kind of research that people like myself and um, Edward J. have done to to get this kind of resolve. Like, if the legal system was working, if, if the government elected officials were working and honoring their duties and oaths the way that they're supposed to be doing them, um, we would have a very perfect system of law, I think, anyway. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, the offer, the offer is there before us, and certainly anybody knows with any study of history. There's always been bully, corrupt leaders, power mongers. That's just part of history. You know, right. Nottingham and Robin Hood. So the offer is always upon us. We can either accept their corruption or we can put them to task. Now, as it be, is the extortion racket has also been running on through the centuries that if you speak out or try and do something against them, they come and beat you up, pressure you, discriminate against you, pull your licenses, or do something to you in general. That's what corruption does. Yeah. So the new philosophy is rather than doing the repetitious errors of the millennia that people seem to have the propensity for repeating over and over and <laughs> over again, they would go into argument and battle to settle issues that would have been more intelligently put to agreement. Yes. And so the, so the two classes of achieving a cause, one by the brute force of argument, and the other by, by the subtlety of agreement, yeah. have been at odds with one another, but the ego of man has been favoring the brute force of argument. Absolutely. Because man, man does have an ego that's associated with muscle and power and testosterone. That's part of our heritage. So when you give the two choices to a group of men, whether they will sit down and agree and smile about what they can agree with, or they can pick up clubs and beat each other to death, invariably throughout history, we will find the, the latter will be the choice. <laughs> They're going to pick up the clubs and beat each other to death. One, because they can, and two, because they got to prove they're stronger than the other guy. That's, That's right. We go the basic balls of man, if you can excuse that vernacular, to understand that, that testosterone is largely what paints our history. Yeah. But ignorance, the ignorance of the testosterone, ignoring the brain power. Right. I think what the art of war, Sun Tzu wrote about, ignoring that ball power, he went to the brain power and said, well, hey, if I can get my enemy to do what I want to do without lifting the finger and get him to defeat himself, then that's what's called true warrior intelligence. And he was right. Absolutely. So, yeah. this, is what, this is what Christ, the man who came to offer his life for us two millennia ago, he put this method of dealing with things where you would go to somebody and you would say, is it not true? That, and he would say a thing that was true. And, and we can all pick many facts that we know of. I'm not going to focus on one particular one at this moment, but when you have a fact, that's not something that's going to be arguable. 
It's a fact. Like if right. you go out of the train without a raincoat, you're going to get wet. It's a fact. <laughs> so, um, there, there are certain things that we know that are facts. If you go without air for a certain period of time in your bloodstream, you die. Yeah. There's, so there's certain things that are not arguable. You're not going to be able to play semantics with them that some people just love to. Yeah. And when you when you learn that there's a certain set of facts that protect your ability as a man to remain independent. When yeah. you find a set of facts that protects you as a man, having power over his own actions to yeah. not bring harm to any man or woman or property. Yeah. Well, now you've secured your position as free. That's what the true freedom is. is you, you secure your position to do whatever you want as long as you don't bring harm to man, woman, or property. And you do it community-wide. You don't be shy about getting right. this agreement. You get it with everybody, so at any time, sometime in the future, you come across one of these people that don't know you, <laughs> and you're doing something they don't like, you can say, well, listen, i got a prior agreement. You may be forgotten about it, but here it is. Yeah. I did this on such and such a date. And if you've got a problem with it now, well, please let me know, because I don't want to disturb you. But as far as this point is concerned, you've already agreed it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, we've all got the ability to do this. It's almost childlike. We're... One wants to put up a lemonade stand next to another child that's got maybe a cake stand set up. Well, you would go over to them and say, hey, do you mind if I set my lemonade stand up over here? It might compliment your cake. Yeah. And they might say, no, I don't want you nearby, and I'm doing fine here. Well, at that point, you go, well, I'm not here to upset my brothers and sisters. Maybe I can move on down the road a little bit where I'm not interfering. Yeah. And that, that would be the choice. Or they might just say, well, that would be great. Sure, I'd love it. Yeah. But at least we took the honor position of going for agreement rather than taking the assumption and going for argument. You know, I'm just going to set it up here without even talking to them and let's see what happens. Yeah. And, and usually when we do things like that, history tells us, well, we usually end up in argument. So the wisdom here in is childlike. Christ said you cannot get to the kingdom of heaven unless you be as like a little child. Thank and then, you, he, then he made it really good. He made it really good because he said, if anybody should get between the little children and me, they'd best be putting a millstone around their neck and tossing themselves in the ocean. So I thought, well, here is great wisdom and knowledge if we allow ourselves and we take away that ego that we're always lost to go, the history of man and his ego. And we can take it and set it aside and say, oh, you mean if I go forth like a little child and say, well, listen, that... I just took up my faith recently, but I don't know a lot about it. But I, before I go too much further, I want to make sure I don't get in trouble by exercising my faith. So can I ask a few questions? My mom told me I didn't know a lot, so it would be good if I asked questions so I didn't get into trouble. Can you help me out with that so I can uh, make sure that I can practice my faith in Christ here and maintain good terms with you so I don't get into trouble? <laughs> well, I think that's fabulous. And I... Really, I do emulate the same philosophies, and this is what I've been trying to do. Like, um, on my blog, I basically say, you know, it's, it would potentially be unreasonable for me to expect that anybody in a government office is going to be familiar with my position, my perspective, and, you know, never mind seeing a SESTA KV or any of that stuff, right? So... It blows them away, Sean. Absolutely. And, and I'm aware of that. And I know that I need to be in harmony with my brothers and sisters. Like, 
you know, they, they're as much in this mess as we are. A lot of them maybe don't see it that way because, you know, but we're all in this together. We really are at just varying levels of participation. I'm to the point now where I don't even think that anybody in Canada's government, regardless of their position, actually understands a thing about the economy. But I'll get into that at another time. What I was going to say right now is that to the end that you were just saying about making agreements with people and just, you know, acting like mature human beings, you know, so yes, on one hand, we want to have the innocence of a child. At the same time, we want to govern ourselves with the kind of honor and integrity we were taught to honor each other with when we were in kindergarten and grade one. It was rude to not share. It was rude to like not invite someone to play in your games or whatever, you know, like it, all of those ideas. So I went into Ontario Works with a mandamus and I presented it to my caseworker. And I said, look, I don't have, you know, healthcare obviously, and I very rarely ever need to go and see a doctor. So, you know, when I do, it's never been a problem anyway. Um, but, you know, this is what I believe. I believe that we all have equal right and access to healthcare, what I need for my health and well-being, And I believe that there's nobody on this earth that's more fit to determine what those healthcare needs are than me. <laughs> and so I want your assurance that anything, no expense shall be spared, but is determined to be in the best interest of my overall health and well-being. And I, you know, I, oh, and I put on there that uh, Ontario Works um, is the agency of the Canadian government responsible for filling the fiduciary obligation to Canadian citizens, which includes healthcare and, you know, basic needs, among other things or something. And, uh, and I asked her to review it and take a look at it. And you know what she said to me? What? I love this. And I said, really? And I said, so will you sign it? And she, oh, yeah, sorry. She said, I love this. You want me to sign it? And I said, I would love for you to sign it, but I want to let you know that this is, you know, a mandamus by definition is an order from a higher court to a lower court or a body with a fiduciary obligation telling them to fulfill. You know, I, love somebody, uh, I love somebody who's studied, Sean, and knows what they're talking about. Thank you. And, and you know, and I, I explained this to her and she said, oh, okay, well, and I said, and I used the Bible here um, because I don't, unfortunately, I can't quote it as well as you can. Like, I don't know what chapter and verse it would be. Maybe you can help me out with that. But basically she said, no, I'm happy to. Um, I believe we have these rights too. Um, she commented on, I have a like elephant pendant that I wear. And she told me how much she liked my elephant pendant. And then she asked me, she said, would you like me to stamp this to show it was received by Ontario Works? And I said, yeah, that would be great. And she said, okay. And I said, and you should obviously make a copy for your records too. And she says, okay, give me a moment. You know, and she leaves and she comes back. She brings a copy. She brings the stamp. She puts the stamp on my copy. And then she says, and which one do I give to you? And I said, well, I'm going to keep the original. I said, and you keep the copy. And so I have... Like, I have that mandamus stamped and signed by Orsi, and now they come back to me a year and a half later, almost two years later, and say that I'm now required to have a doctor approve my health care needs. Do you know how the employment center works? Is they, they shift employees so often, management, and 
the stuff that nobody really wants to talk about because risk management tells everybody to leave it alone does it not get promoted to the staff or get promoted to the superior levels when they're making decisions. They continue to plot on as if you've never said anything about your faith whatsoever. Exactly. And they, and they utilize any filing with them as the dead corporate entity and the utilization of their staff as a message to them that you don't really know what you're talking about because one side of you is saying, I can't be in bed with you, the dead prostitute, and the other side is saying, favor me. Yeah. <laughs> This is the tough the tough part about all of us when we want to leave is how to make it irrefutably aware to them that all oh, 100% of your communications to those men and women that work for these provincial or municipal or federal entities are to private men and women because you in explanation and quite validly so cannot communicate to persons lest you commit sin in your new modern faith as a newborn in Christ. Well, you're going to love this then because uh, I, I, I have thought about all this stuff. And you know what? I'm, it's so great to have someone like you on the show because what I find myself doing is I try and explain to people on my blog why I'm doing things. So, you know. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. But like, you know, I, I wrote a mandamus and I presented it and the story I just I told you, it. I published I that on my blog, right? And I'm sure there's people who read it and go, that that's like insane. That's crazy. Like, yeah, it doesn't mean anything, blah, blah, blah. And just like you said, they do basically try to plot along like nothing's ever happened, like nothing changed. Um, but the quote that I wanted to say to you that I gave to Orsi, which is true, by the way, um, is I said to her, I said, you know what? I said, what we did just now, I said, is we have just created a legally binding contractual obligation. I said, and believe it or not, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, whenever two or more are gathered in my name, anything will be possible for you. He's the witness. That's right. So he knows that that deal was made. And I followed it up with this letter. Two, the Ministry of Community and Social Services and Ontario Works Agents and Commissioners for the Ontario Works Act and or the Days Nursery Act and or Vang Sodi, Commissioner and Agent, Ontario Works. Delivered to or Vang Sodi by way of the King's Hand regarding letter of attorney, estate matters of, and then I behind the word of, I've got Sean in all capital letters, in brackets, Stephen in all capital letters, Von Den, um, comma, social insurance number, I've got the uh, acronym for it, SIN number, and then my social insurance number. And then on the back side it says, Dear Orsolia Vang Sodi, Sean Von Den, again once, it's the all capital version, the incorporated person created by the state, in brackets Canada, hereby appoint my living will, the spiritual man, Lord Sean, House of Von Den, hand, will of Stephen, kingdom of God, as my private attorney and executor of my living will in all matters where there is an interest in the incorporated person's estate. The will of Sean Von Den is for Canada to dissolve the trust a citizen is presumed to have in government of the state. Sean Von Den has placed his trust in God and God's servant, Lord King Sean, House of Von Den. Testator Sean Von Den, with the all caps underneath. So I'm signing 
as the incorporated person, right? Because they're trying to like suggest that it's the same thing, right? I know it's not, but you know, I don't know, and I'm just being straight up honest with everybody. I don't know if they actually have a claim upon the signature. I, I, I don't understand the law well enough to know. I know that they have a claim upon the all caps name. I know that that is exclusively their property. And I know that that's why we get in trouble when we use it and it's on a court in information and we say, yeah, that's me. That's when you start to get into all kinds of trouble because you don't ever want to be that. Um, but anyway, I signed as that on the testator line and then I put for the agent receiving or Solivang Sovi signed February 5th, 2020. And then I put on the other side, witnessed by God and God's representative. And then I put in brackets, agent, Lord Sean, House of Anden, Hand of Stephen, Kingdom of God. So that the purpose of doing that, of course, was so now they can't claim that they don't know the difference between the two entities because... I've just gone in and told her the King Sean House of Vonden is in fact the private attorney <laughs> and uh, living will of the incorporated person created by the state. <laughs> they don't have any authority over living wills. The, the main thing that I've seen in our communications, or at least in my efforts, that, that makes the difference is when you apply Christ's formula of Matthew 18, 15 through 20 exclusively without applying any EU at all, just follow what he said, get the facts down, get them to agree to it with witnesses confirming it by registered mail if you have to. Yep. And then oh, and posting a notify a notification in the newspaper of a private church notice in, in the notices section of the newspaper. You gotta put private church notice. Yep. Okay, and, and it goes in there that uh, here's the link for the full text of the agreement between there's names, you and whoever else it would be, and the link would have the full text of the agreement. Now, after four postings in the newspaper, it makes it valid and lawful notice to them that they can never dispute again as far as the agreement goes. Uh, that has been utilized in what's called notice to admit. In the civil court proceedings of uh, courts throughout the Commonwealth for well over a hundred years. And how and long did you say that was? Four weeks? If, uh, you give them a, a few, can, some people go with two weeks, some okay. people with 10 days, uh, some people will go for, for a full 30 days. Yeah, uh, I've heard variations. I've heard 30 a lot because people say yeah, that 30 was the silver that was paid for for Judas or something. Yeah, 30, yeah. yeah 30. So there's various renditions. I think the fair thing who is at least two weeks minimum notice. Yes, yeah, I agree. To, uh, to agree to the facts, and I always advise people that rather than going in with 50 million facts, because there's all kinds of ways to surround your enemy. And Absolutely. <laughs> that you go in with one fact at a time, the first fact yeah. you go in, that they recognize that all service providers in Canada must go to a hardship to accommodate the demand made under the International Covenant for Civil and Political Rights when it is received, period. And okay, can, can you repeat that again? Sorry, I'm going to write that down because... Uh, Certainly. Yeah, go ahead. The, the one question that's prime when you're trying to get an agreement with a public servant that's usually uh, quite feisty and ignoring anything that a right. public will ask him to do 
is you ask him if he recognizes that his obligation is to go to a hardship when he receives a demand for accommodation relative to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Okay, so go to hardship when it comes to the accommodation. When comes to when he receives a demand for oh. accommodation. Okay, to hardship um, when he receives a demand for accommodation relative to the ICCPR and yeah. your faith. Yeah. You specifically say, and my faith. Because that, that's the big, that's the heavy duty positioning. Yeah. Human rights worldwide, of all the ones that have the highest modality of respect, it's your faith. Absolutely. And, and I've even said on my blog before that unfortunately the reason that the world is in the state that it's in is I believe that for the most part the people who are running the show regard most of mankind to be godless, <laughs> um, to be like lost, like literally lost souls um, that have no idea about their creator or God and that they deserve everything that they're getting because they lost their faith in God. That's how I think they see it. Um, yeah, they basically feel that they... Only that only a non-spiritual person would ever get tricked by this kind of stuff when that's, I don't know, it's a bit of a narcissistic take to have on it, I think, because the deception is so overwhelming that it would be very difficult for somebody to, um, in such an intellectualized world, have a really, really strong sense of spirit if they were, you know, raised traditionally with all of the regular schooling and all that stuff and had very mainstream parents or whatever, you know, it's going to be hard to develop a, 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 you know, a real experiential relationship with God, I think. I'll say it's impossible unless you examine uh, and reevaluate the interpretation that you've had shoved down your throat about Romans 13. Yeah. And that it's been, you know, taught from the pulpit for like, uh, uh, what, four centuries here, now the King James has, and yeah. it had been taught during those four centuries and all the centuries prior, that that particular chapter, Romans 13, and the use of the word minister there yeah. three times, has yeah. been meant that you're supposed to submit yourself to them and obey them. Right. And it's the governments of the day. And That's that is right. Taught, it's the secular governments of the day that we are to submit to. Now, on a closer examination, of that concept, which is the overpowering concept the Roman Catholic Church has been hammering the nations with ever since its inception. If you go re and examine the closer look at that word minister, that is there emphatically three times, you go back to Ezra chapter 7, verses 23 through 26 in the King James Bible, yep. and you find out that there's four particular aspects to the ministers that are spoken of in Romans 13, they cannot differ from Ezra. they got to be the same. God's not the author of confusion. God's not a liar. He's not going to lead us astray. So what it says about the word minister in Ezra would right. be different about the opinion of how Romans 13 is read. Well, then we've got a problem. So let's see. In Ezra there, it says that the ministers are from the temple of God. And then it says there that they pay no tax. And then it says they adjudicate with God's law and only his law. And then it says 
that they teach them that know it not. And so we go back to the ministers that the churches of the day have been teaching us we're supposed to submit to the false god governments. Yeah. And we can see that they are not of God's temple. They yeah. are not adjudicating with God's law and only his law. They are not... They are imposters. They are not teaching them and know not and they're taxing the crap out of everything. Yeah. So these guys are not God's ministers as mentioned there in Ezra. So that means the interpretation of Romans 13 has been false. It doesn't match up with the scripture. And I've challenged Catholic priests with this and brought some of them to tears when they realized that what I just told them was the truth. Yeah. That since the Roman government first translated the books and chose which ones were going to be in the Bible back in the 4th century, they've been teaching from the pulpit that that chapter is the one that allows them to rule and everybody should submit to their governments. Yeah. Well, now, you're the right guy to ask about this, too. Um, I seem to recall reading that same section of Romans, no coincidences yeah. in the universe, um, because it was brought to me by uh, Captain Thomas Yu, who used to be a director for the Salvation Army. I used to meet okay. with him every Thursday, and we used to talk about spirituality. And it was very interesting because, like, I'm not Christian, and he kind of appreciated the fact that I don't identify with Christian, but I identify with Christ and the message of Christ and, you know, whatever. And I, I just don't like to use the word Christian because there's so many Christians who are not really followers of God. That, You're a follower of the way. Right, exactly. Um, and uh, anyway, like, we had some mind-blowing conversations because he said to me, look, he said, I want to talk to you, he says, because, you know, um, I, I believe, you know, all of people are created equal. He said, so I, I treat everybody equal and everything else. He says, but, and, you know, he has very broken English. He's, he was Korean, um, but he's like very, very well educated. He's on like three boards of directors. He's got like a doctorate in his native tongue in something. I can't remember what. So he's very, very well educated, but he doesn't necessarily speak so well, um, in English. But anyway... Um, he says to me, uh, but the Bible says that um, homosexuality is a sin. Um, are, are they sinners in the eyes of God, or, or, or what, is the, what is your feeling about that? And I was like, wow, that's a heavy one. <laughs> you know, especially for somebody who's like basically the leader of the church to be asking me. And I was like, well... That's a really easy question for me to answer. Well, it was relatively easy for me, too. I'll tell you what I said. I was just like... Um, I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that God makes mistakes? And he looks at me and he says, well, no. And I said, okay. I said, so, if God doesn't make mistakes, I said, do, do you think people are gay because they choose to be gay? They want that kind of, like, you know, <laughs> hatred and, and, and to be exercised from society? Or, or do, you think, do, do you think that maybe God just made them that way? And he says, oh, and I said, because, like, let's face it. I said, I don't think there's too many people that would choose to be gay considering, you know, what kind of adversity they're going to face on top of, as you know, the challenges that everybody else has. And uh, he says, okay. He says, well, but why? I don't understand then, you know, and I said, well, I said, let's just say for a minute. I said, I don't know where it says in the Bible that it's a sin. I said, but let me ask you this. I said, if God is, you know, all-powerful and, you know, tells us to go forth and procreate 
I said, is there a limit to how much we should procreate? Or should we just like, you know... <laughs> I said, do you think it's possible that maybe God made a few people gay because he doesn't care who you love as long as you love and he knows that that's going to slow down population a little bit? Maybe we're having too many children? And you should have seen his face. Like he'd never even considered that possibility. <laughs> but he was just like, oh, <laughs> I never thought about that. And I was like, yeah, well, maybe, maybe they're literally here just to help us keep the population in check. And maybe we should learn something from, you know, them, like, you know. Okay, let's, let's examine that because that's an interesting concept. You know, well, God gives us all kinds of choices. Of course, that's what this life is all about. It's not robotics. We yeah. get choices. Deuteronomy 30.19, life and death must be cursing. So let's examine the life part. Well, the life part is, oh, yeah, man puts penis in woman's vagina, and we got life in a new baby that's born on the planet as he wished to be fruitful and fill the earth, as was the directions of God to Adam and Eve in the beginning. He said, be fruitful, fill the earth. So we knew God's wish. We knew his directive. We knew he created a penis and a vagina, semen and an ovum, so as to create new babies. That was God's wish. We know that undoubtedly. So when we examine, is God going to change his mind and confuse us? Well, we know the scripture says that God is not the author of confusion. So certainly after God designed man and woman to procreate and fill the earth, he's not going to come along and confuse us by saying, hey, I'm going to make some gay ones here just to confuse the rest of you and make you think that uh, fishing for turds is a better idea. No, that ain't working. Yeah. So we got to examine, well, what is the reasoning behind this genetic biological fashioning here that certainly has intelligent design to it, that we should be so discriminatory against a group of men and women on the planet that choose not to procreate, but rather involve themselves in the lust of flesh. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so what the history is on the planet is that those people that choose not to procreate choose extinction. Now, That's very interesting. Common sense in our creator imposing extinction upon us or imposing disease upon us is a suggestive nature, but there is a history of a tempter, somebody who would tempt us to the lust of flesh and to forget about our duty to one another to procreate and fill the planet. That is so very I, interesting, I, brother. I, I like it. I really do. Uh, yeah. So we, we have a dark motive here that seems to go against the intelligent design of the planet that was obviously put in place with a penis and a vagina to make more children. Yeah. Whereas you get a penis and an anus, and all you get is infection and a sore anus. <laughs> well, you know something I'll, I'll tell you? Um, I don't know. I, I might lose some fans for for saying it but i you know whatever it is what it is if i had been you know like born gay if it's you know and been attracted to men or whatever i honestly believe that as much as you know my family probably would have accepted it and all that nonsense or whatever i would have just remained celibate for my life like <laughs> i wouldn't have been comfortable enough with my own sexuality to actually be gay do you know what i mean i, I might consciously admit it to myself at well, some point, but I, I, yeah, you know, I would just probably enjoy a life of celibacy because, you know, and I've never actually had that perspective before, Edward. Like, it's weird because I always try to think I come up with every angle, but that one I never considered, you know, like I, I am, you know, heterosexual, but 
I am also not like totally overcome by the flesh. Like I've probably been celibate for like five years now. And it's just because when I want to have a woman in my life, there will be one there. Um, it's, it's weird like that. Like I have other things that I'm focused on right now. And so I want to focus on them and really know that I'm taking care of me first before I invite somebody else in to enjoy my chaos. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, that would probably be my take. I know that it's probably uh, not a very popular philosophy with the gay community, but... Um, I try to look at it logically, though, and I think the way I just thought... That is logical. That matter, That's the know, problem. You can't avoid the choice of design, yeah. the intelligent design. Either we go back to the evolutionary, we came from the slime in the pond somewhere, and the lightning bolt hit it, or we accept intelligent design. Now, a long time ago, I accepted intelligent design. That doesn't mean that everybody has to. We all get choices. Yeah. The choice of choosing the non-intelligent design modality means, okay, well, we don't have to respect this temple. We just do what we yeah. want for the lust of it because I like doing it. Yeah. And then now, what happens to our civilization? In every historical study, back as far as they've been writing, where people reverted from the heterosexual relationship of procreation to the homosexual relationship of lust yeah. and drunkenness, which comes along with the, the, the sexual appetite, uh, that the civilizations fell. Yeah. Every single one of them. And there's more than a dozen of them in history that that has happened to, where the sex takes over the thinking creative part of the civilization, the procreative part of the love the yeah. community spirit and the respect and it takes it gets taken over by the lust and this is what's taking place in canada right now because the privy council got taken over by the alphabet gang in 2018 the coincidentally i guess really they tried to repeal 2000 uh 176 and 180 in 2018 the same year the privy council invited lbgtq into its offices wow now, do you think that's a coincidence if you think of all the classes of no. people that hate on for God and want to get rid of the Bible and faith and want to shut it down entirely and promote their promiscuous sexual lifestyles along with the perversion of children that goes along with it? It's those people. And so I think, is it just coincidence that all of a sudden, after 126 years, they're going hobnail boots to the floor to get rid of 176 and 180? The two sections of the criminal code specifically relative to the coronational defender of the faith promise. I promise to defend the laws of God, the church, and the clergy with all of my power. This I do promise. And that's 176 and 180, you said? Yeah, they tried to repeal it. Now, they couldn't repeal 423. That's the, that's the third sister. I call those sections of the criminal code the three sisters. Okay. 176, 180, and 423. They couldn't repeal 423 or try to. It would be looked too aggressively abrasive because 423 is saying intimidation. So that means to try to repeal it means they can come and intimidate you whenever they want. They would never have got away with that one, but because most people don't know what nuisance means. Wow. Most people don't really get what 176 of the criminal code offers for moral, social, or benevolent purposes. It has nothing to do with faith, mind you, 176 of Point two of the criminal code. This for gatherings for a moral, social, or benevolent purposes, such as nowadays you're arrested for, given thousand dollar tickets and hauled away in a paddy wagon. 
Right. Okay, now, um, something I did want to ask you about um, yes. on the call, because I think it's going to be valuable to our listeners. Um, the Privy Council is something you mentioned several times. Uh, can you explain to our listener what the role of the Privy Council is in Canada and how it relates yes. to the UN Covenant? The Privy Council is the highest civil office that Canada has. It's directly between the Queen, the monarchy, Buckingham Palace, and the government of Canada is a corporate entity. Both main corporate entities, Queen Elizabeth II, Buckingham Palace, they're all persons of law, corporate entities. And that's aside from Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor, the woman that actually got anointed and made the promise. So you got two separate entities here. The Privy Council sits the goal between between whatever the Parliament of Canada does, its top civil office. It makes a decision as to whether that's going to go forth and get approved by the Queen. Right. So when the LBGTQ won several court cases, especially with the military, which was tuned to hundreds of millions of dollars, I think it was like over $500 million, this court case. That was back in 2018 or 2000, no, 2017. So what that did is it gave the impetus and a whole bunch of money to lobby the Privy Council of Canada to not discriminate against them as a group that had a large interest and stake in the in the government of Canada and to allow them to have an office of special interest. Well, what that did is it set a precedent of discrimination of a horrible standard because how come there isn't an office in there for Christianity or Islam or all the other faiths should have their own office in the Privy Council because the LBGTQ club is a faith unto itself. Wow. The faith of perversion. And their faith of perversion is the contrary antichrist faith. Wow. That's quite obvious. Come on now. This is so obvious. It's kid stuff. When, when you look at it, you go, oh my God, they're the most motivated group of people in the world to get rid of the exercise of faith, the Bible, the mention of Christ. Yeah. The queen's, the queen's going to die in a few years. Let's get ahead of the crowd, make it look like a parade. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That's wow. what thinking and the people of Canada, uh, well, for one, they don't research law like I do. Not that that should be a bad thing for them. I'm sure they do many important things in lives, but, but in yeah. lives. Uh, but the, the important aspect of defending yourself against the cabal that has a backside business that's its main concern is you have to be aware of the motivation. You have to look at it as a crime scene, and you analyze yes. what's the motivation. Who are the various suspects? Right. And then Occam's Razor takes place where you test all of your various subjects against the facts that you have and the evidence that's available. Wow, well, that's amazing. You're the only other person I've ever heard mention Hanlon's Razor as well. It's just wicked. Occam's, Occam's Razor. Okay, that's sorry. The Piper of Hamlin. Similar, similar type of thing. We have a Piper of Hamlin effort taking place here okay. whereby the COVID... We have the medical authors acting as the pipers. Yeah, yeah. And okay. absolutely another act of treason. We could talk about that too. So, well, medical officers have no legislative sanction right. other than when there is a medical emergency that the numbers of deaths, without being mixed with statistic fraud, yeah. just the pure numbers of the total deaths, when they show that beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's not been an increase in the deaths in any country, if you were to put this before a jury, and this was an investigation into a conspiracy murder trial, 
Yeah. Well, there would be a conviction right away. Absolutely. It would be obvious who the culprits were. If you line them up, you can see, well, where's the money going in the world here? Well, it's going to the directors of the World Health Organization. Yep. It's going to George Soros. It's going to Bill Gates. It's going to uh, Bill Clinton. And you, there's a whole bunch of so-called um, historical bad people yep. that have a lot of evidence pointing towards them. They're making money off of this. It's already There's other investigators out there already done the work, excellent, excellent work, and they put together the modus operandi, which means method of operation, and the mens rea. Mens rea means guilty mind, that means premeditated. Yeah. So this is already, Bill Gates had his forum planning the COVID disaster in the fall of 2019. Oh, even before that, but yeah, absolutely. Well, he was absolutely. planning with John Hopkins University before that, that's yeah. true. But the real agenda issue was the pre-motivated event there in October, yeah. uh, where he had it in New York with John Hopkins and a hundred other people doing this scenario about what happens if all of a sudden. Now, this has already taken place too many times on the planet where these years emergency drill, the morning when 911 took place, and all these various, uh, there's about a dozen of them throughout yeah. history where all these so-called coincidences. Well, after a period of time, upon the realm of possibility, presented in front of intelligent men and women, they can see these are not coincidences, <laughs> but these are patterned events. There is no such thing as coincidence, only the illusion of coincidence. I, like God, do not play dice. Right, so we have to take away from the panel, whoever it is that would be in a tribunal position to hear the evidence, yeah. take away any assumptions power whatsoever, so that there is no, well, this could have taken place under these circumstances, maybe and if, and we can't convict unless we're 100% sure, but the evidence is already so overwhelming when you follow the money in history, <clears throat> and the background of these people all having a connection to Zionism. Okay, now, um, just to get back to the Privy Council again, so if there is a violation upon um, the faith of a yes. man, um, are you suggesting that people should file their complaint with the Privy Council? Well, first of all, yes. Uh, first of all, do I think uh, um, a communication with the Privy Council, uh, asking them, listen, I'm coming to you. Uh, in my position, the way I take it is, since this is a country founded with a Christian monarch that is defender of the faith, that being of the King James Bible, I come forth asking for their uh, recognition of the International Covenant on civil and political rights, so my faith and my ability to practice it may be saved harmless from any assumptions that they may wish to refer to, yeah. uh, thinking I'm a person or that I'm a subject of statute, code, and regulation that stands in the way of my faith. Wow. Okay, so um, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping we're going to be able to maybe get a... a a talk like this in once a week or that's what I'm going to aim for anyway and uh, the way that I'm going to do it is I'm actually going to record this I'm recording this just on my computer right now and then when I'm done I'm going to upload that to a podcast platform and then I can set up a date of the week so it All doesn't right. really matter when we talk I'll just yes. uh, we'll have our talks um, maybe once a week whenever it's good for us both and then I'll, I think I'm going to do it for a Saturday night because that gives me a little bit of time to prep this episode, make sure it sounds good, whatever, and then uh, get it up for some time tomorrow. Okay. And then I'm going to try and get one out every week after that. But uh, let, me, let me set the stage then okay. for 
what the rest of our discussions can be about because it all anchors around two words. Awesome. The whole system, the whole system worldwide of the of the bar, the British bar system, okay, which is pretty much worldwide. Yeah. Uh, that whole system operates on these two words. One one word is its power. Yeah. And the other word is its nemesis. Okay. So the word that gives that system its power is person. Yeah. So we just chalked that up on the board there. The word person is on the dark side. So happy to hear you say this because I say it all the time. But, like, you know, sometimes I think okay. when I say it, people I think I'm nutty. Just make it simple so the subject matter is always anchored back in this. That we know that once we're told in that scripture not to respect persons, yeah. that if we do, we're sinners. Well, okay, now we have the perfect, unalienable excuse. Yeah. We can never have it taken away from us for saying we can't respect persons any longer. You can no longer force us or intimidate us to participate in person. What so line of the Bible is that? No respecter of that's, persons. That's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. 10, verse 17. Second Samuel fourteen and fourteen. Second Samuel fourteen and fourteen. Matthew okay. twenty-two sixteen. Right on. And you already just answered uh, one of the other questions I was going to sixteen. Sorry, Matthew. What was it, Matthew? You said twenty-two sixteen. Twenty-two sixteen. And then it's Acts. Acts 10.34. Okay. Surely I perceive God is no respecter of persons, said Peter. Nice. And then we have Romans 2.11. Okay. And then we have, finally, the explanatory James 2.9. If you should show respect to persons, you commit sin, and shall be convinced of the law as a transgressor. And what was that last one? James 2.9. James 2.9. Okay, so this is really interesting for me because... That's uh, the one side, that's the one side, okay? That's the person side, the sinner side, because a person is equated with a sinner in right. the scripture. So they're compelling me to commit sin, and I'm telling them that I don't want to because it's a, it's, it goes against my faith and a violation of my faith in God. You're newborn as a minister, and the old man... The old man you can no longer affiliate with is because you're newborn. That old man that's dead to you is the person. Yeah. As a minister chosen by Christ, John 15 and 16 says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Yeah. I ordained you to go forth and bear the fruit. Then we have that bearing fruit again. Wow. So when we accept that offer of John 15, 16, and it's been sitting there ever since they first posted that Bible up, 4 CE, 4th century, um, that the offer was there that we could be its ministers. Because once you accept ordination, yeah. you're its minister. Yeah. Automatic. Yeah. Right on. No one can take that away from you, even should you commit sin. You are forgiven for your sins as long as you make compensation for your error. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. The whole system is secular upon the assumption that you're a person, and it was a trap put in place by very wise Jewish rabbis following the Talmud. 
And I'm learning this to be a fact and not an assumption because I lived in 1976 in Beverly Hills <laughs> with a Jewish family. I was going to marry the great granddaughter of Leonard Bernstein. Wow. It's so funny. Like, I, I have the application for the birth certificate because I told you, you know, so I'm doing it all under duress. But you know what? I look at everything as an opportunity. Like, yes, it was very annoying. And yes, they they just ignored the fact that they're, you know, violating UN covenant. They're trespassing on my faith, blah, blah, blah. They don't care. Um, but uh, forcing me to file this application lets me send all of that paperwork again and say, look, I'm sending this under duress. I believe you're compelling me into sin against my faith. Well, they're not forcing you. You have a way to get an offer back to them to compel them to go to hardship. It's the last man on the battlefield is the winner. If you go and submit to their process by filling out the form, they're the last one on the battlefield, not you. But even if I'm saying that I'm, I'm filing it under protest and duress? What you've missed in your protest and your duress is, I believe, unless you're going to reinform me, is witnesses and a posting in the newspaper. Oh, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to post a copy of the application. It's going to have a witness because uh, Ontario Works, the caseworker, she has to act as a guarantor, so her signature is going to be on not, it. That's not exactly what Christ was talking about when he said, "Get agreement with them privately." Yeah, and then. And then after that, if they won't agree with you, then you bring along witnesses. So on the mouths of two or more witnesses, every word may be established. So that private method, non-secular and unreliant on secular process or office at all, is, is merely to keep yourself clean and only in affiliation with the living. Because right. those persons of law are literally dead, and that's why the scripture said if you show respect to them by having any communication whatsoever, answering any other questions, following any other directives. Well, now you respected persons, you're back in the dead, drinking in the vomit of that old body. Well, what I'm doing is I'm writing a letter like, okay, so what they've done so far, which is kind of interesting because they're sort of, I don't know, I, I don't want to say that they're doing things the way I want them to, but they are. Um, <laughs> well, because like initially I didn't want to have to file for it at all. And, uh, and I was just like, you know, this is ridiculous, blah, 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 you know, whatever, protest, protest. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, I am under threat because they're, they're going to cut me off entirely otherwise. And what I want is the evidence and the forensic audit of the birth certificate. I want to know what, what money they're, they're borrowing in my name, blah, blah, blah. I know it's a commercial instrument. I know that's all going on. I want disclosure of it. They don't want to give it to me. They're, you know. All that nonsense. Um, How many witnesses have you got in your locale that know what they know what you're doing and they respect what you're Pretty much about? zero at the moment, and that's only because of the COVID thing. Like I could theoretically. What? Well, you mean you mean the two sisters in New York plucked you out of the healthcare? <laughs> nobody had seen you yet. Well, well, no. There's like lots of people who know me, but none in my immediate like uh, microcosm, so to speak. Like no neighbors in my immediate community. There's lots of people who know me and could vouch for me sort of thing, but, uh, yeah. Why? What are you getting at? The reason, I, the reason I'm asking that is one of the strongest events that I saw take place in my life 
is when five witnesses wrote the head judge here in the province and got seven judges disqualified. It was within 24 hours of having received the letter. The judge issued the order to disqualify those seven judges from ever sitting in front of me again. By doing so, the judge, the head judge of the province, Jerry Matchett, had made a judgment. He brought the gavel down and made a judgment. He said, you guys are disqualified. I've seen evidence on the record. You committed crimes. You intimidated this man. You obstructed him, nuisanced him. Those are three criminal charges, and you did it with intent. Mm -hmm. I said, I can no longer allow you to sit in front of this man with this evidence in front of me. It would put me liable to your crimes. So he made a right judgment. witness that sits today. I've never brought action against those seven men, but I still could and take their liability bonds for the moment. Wow. So that, yeah, that is really interesting. And I did want to ask you about that again today. Um, is there anywhere that people can look into information regarding that matter? Because I think that's one of the most interesting they, stories they you have. Judge uh, Gardner put oh. it under seal. Wow. Um, I don't think they're good. That's a risk management nightmare. Of course. It was Commonwealth wide because one guy with a Bible in a court case asking them if they get to intimidate him to violate his faith and getting into a dead bed with a dead prostitute called the person. Yeah. Well, they don't have the authority to do that. And, they, and I brought it vividly to their attention that these seven judges thought they did it and they intimidated me. Bango! They get disqualified. That's an axe in the back of the head of the bar worldwide. And so the only way to prevent the axe from hitting them again was to slander me and defame me. So now I have no validity as far as their whole system is concerned. They made fun of me and right. abused me and lied about me so that other people wouldn't wake up to what I shared. That all you got to do is tell them you believe in Christ. And he said, you can't be in bed with them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true. Um, like, yeah, people don't really get that, but a lot of the time... That's because of the Romans 13 misinterpretation, that's why. Yeah, people think that, oh yeah, they don't want you in your court, you must be doing something wrong. Um, a lot of the time it's because the person is doing something, sorry, not the person, but the, the individual is doing something absolutely correct. <laughs> and that's why they don't want you in their courts, because they don't want you showing other people how to do this stuff. They want to keep the masquerade going. And the very last thing that they want is somebody who knows how to stand for themselves inside of their courts, because, yeah, yeah it's just not good for the game. Um, but no, where this is going to work out for me is that uh, I have already given, and this goes back four years now, I sent public notice to the Registrar General, to the Attorney General, whatever. I did all of this stuff ahead of time. And I'm one of the few people who actually got a response. So I can show, I have an, like, I have an original stamp document from the Attorney General's office showing that my SESTA KV was received by them, um, which is an acknowledgement of my faith, if nothing else. And that's really all I need. But it also came with three notices um, that explained what the SESTA KV was, that I'm a spiritual man with sound mind, body, soul. That's a united holy trinity of God and God's kingdom. I'm the authority in that kingdom, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that it is my understanding. And I don't get into the details. And this is kind of what I want to emphasize with people. You don't, you don't have to be an expert in law to know that there's something fishy going on with our economic system. Everybody needs to pledge their life 
and the government's borrowing all kinds of money, and the Canadian people are expected to pay it back. If, if anybody didn't think that, wait a minute, how did I get roped into this? I never agreed to any of that, and, and wonders why? It's because you've never asked why, and you've never gone to them and said, hey, wait, <laughs> I don't want you spending any more money on my behalf. Thank you very much. Um, if you're going to use my life as a commercial instrument, I'll take authority over that. Thank you. Let, let me read you this here. This is from the Alberta Land Titles and Surveys Procedures Manual. Subject, Life Estates. Background, the Life Estate is a freehold estate which existed in common law and is recognized in the Torrens system. The two types of Life Estates are A, a Life Estate for the Life of the Tenant, Example, 2A for life, and B, a life estate or auteur V, i.e. for the life of another. The following is an example. 2A, a life estate for the life of B. In this example, B is the person the length of whose life determines the duration of the estate. is called the set of KB. There right. can be more than one set of KB named, and the duration can be limited for the shortest example for the joint lives or the longest life of the persons. In either case, the duration of the life estate must be clearly specified. A life estate may be transferred for its duration. However, a life estate for the life of the tenant is not divisible by will as it ceases to exist upon the death of the life tenant. A life estate or attorney may be devised by the will of the tenant for its remainder upon the death of the Seneca B. The life estate par entrevi terminates. The register, registration procedure. The registered owner of the fee simple estate can create a life estate by either executing a transfer, Form 8, of a life estate or reserving a life estate to himself out of a transfer of the fee simple estate. Register the life estate first and then transfer the fee simple title. <laughs> a transfer reserving a life estate to a third party is non-negotiable unless a transfer of the life estate interest is also presented for registration. All registration requirements for a transfer is outlined in the procedures on transfers TRF1 apply except as otherwise indicated. And these TRF1 is linked along with Form 8. There's links here for that. Wow. The grant. The grant of the life estate must establish A, the owner of the estate, B, the duration of the estate, for whose life or life's determine the length of the estate. For example, 1. If the transfer grants a life estate to B, the duration is for B's life. 2. If a transfer by A reserves a life estate to A, the duration is for A's life. Three, if a transfer grants a life estate to A and B as joint tenants, the rule of survivorship applies. See procedure under 10.1. Wow. So you yeah. know what? That gives even more credibility, by the way, to the SESTA KV that I have authored. Well, absolutely. Because I, I started out with, as far as the duration goes, you know, um, what they want to do when they create the birth certificate is they're creating a very, very specific fixed point in time that is fictional, first of all. <laughs> um, it's like, we can call it a real time if we want, but we have been counting years since 
Christ. That's what the Anno Domini calendar is. So there's, there's others that talk about the year of the world and blah, 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 blah. So there's a whole bunch of different calendars. We're, we're using only one of those. Um, and what they want to do is they want to pinpoint your life at beginning at a finite period of time. And nobody actually knows when your life started, but it was roughly 37 weeks or nine months before you were actually expelled from the mother's womb. So uh, the duration of the life that the government creates is very limited, and there's no fixed end on it, right? So not until there's a death certificate. With the SESTA KV, I'm starting it out with in the beginning. Okay, so the duration is from the beginning. So from the beginning or in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. I, Sean, am the living word of God. And then it goes all the way through the Lord's Prayer after that. And that's what we are. We're lords to God's kingdom. That's why it's the Lord's Prayer. And then finally, um, the last line, I don't use amen. <laughs> I did think about signing it as a man. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been clever? But I thought, you know what? No, because I'm replacing the signature with my thumbprint, which I did one on the top right, one on the top left, and a toe print on each of the bottom corners. But the last line is forever and ever. So... <laughs> It starts from the beginning and it goes forever and ever. So this 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 Sesta KV never ends. It's eternal. God's kingdom is eternal. It is. And so that's also why I say people say to people that what I'm really doing, or what I'm endeavoring to do, I you know I haven't cleared all of the uh, red tape yet with the bureaucracy, but basically what I'm working on doing is restoring the honor of my father and mother. And that's one of the commandments that were given to us as well. Our mothers and fathers have been basically tricked into bondage and servitude by the state. They've done it through nefarious means. They, you know, they prey on the good intentions of people and tell you that this is for the good of social welfare and blah, blah, blah. They'll sell you anything. <laughs> That's what the devil does. He looks charming and wonderful and he's going to help you and do everything and provide you with this and that. And here, take this and take this and take this. There's your social insurance number. There's your health card. Take it, take it, take it. And let us, let us worry about everything for you. You don't worry about a thing. You just go and stay in your home and wear a mask and do as you're told. <laughs> so let's go back to Beverly Hills. Yeah. And the Leonard Bernstein family, that Hollywood Just like cattle. 
Wow. And, uh, take advantage of their energy and lie to them and they explain to me how they set the Bible up with the word person in it. Yep. How going into the world would ever figure it out. And uh, God granted man dominion. It's right there in the book, but they haven't figured it out. They want to be persons and we play with them. We have a lot of fun yep. with them. I will so not ever use the word person. They explained all this to me so that if there's any doubt in the world that there is a faction of men and women in the world that also believe in God, they also believe in the Bible, the first part of it anyways, uh, but they believe that God said, well, you're supposed to go and they purchase those men and women that are not following my law. Leviticus 25, 44 through 50, sure enough, you read it, that's exactly what God told them to do, to go purchase those men and women that weren't following his law, that were round about the camp. And so sure enough, they did that, and because God gave them free labor, right then and there, you got to figure, well, here we have his chosen people, and they get free labor forever. God uses the word forever. So you wow. go, wow, that's pretty cool. Would they want to give up that free labor? Can we think of a reason why they would want to give up that free, granted and gifted labor? And we got, I've never been able myself. So can you imagine their disgust when God divorced them after he found out they've been committing adultery with false gods back in the trees? You divorce them and they said, well, we don't want to give up our free labor. So they continue buying and selling men and women in active slavery for centuries on the future until God's son showed up and said, I've come to set you free. Wow. They didn't like that very much, going to take away their free labor. Obviously, they got an axe to grind with the fellow that represents a threat to their future free labor. So obviously we can see what happened to the Son of God. They put him up on the rack and uh, put him to death so they can continue with their free labor despite the fact that in total ignorance and the fact that God divorced them and killed that old covenant with them. It's dead. Along with that old covenant went along the slavery and the yeah. free labor. So that's an interesting portion to understand where the motivation is of the people that can clearly read in their own scriptures that God divorced them, mm -hmm. condemned them, and, and that they don't get any more free labor, and yet here they are, the people that run the World Bank, exacting usury upon every man and woman in the, in the whole world, and owning them as if they were cattle. Yeah, and that's but exactly what they're doing. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's not an assumption, because I've got the documents to prove it. Well, they actually call it chattel property. Like, there's there's a legal term for it. That's that's exactly yeah. what it is, and it's used in America. It's used in Canada, and it's used very commonly. Um, they they speak about human resources like it's an everyday thing now. Um, people really need to think about what that word means. Human resources. We are not resources. We're we're spiritual entities. We're not resources for anybody. Um, well, we're we're a resource to one another, I suppose, if we want to do good unto each other, as we're supposed to, but... It's also referred to as a natural resource. Yes, that's a much better way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, I don't know how long we've been on. I think it's been a while. Uh, do you have a... Is there an, any indicator of time here? Um, I'm gonna... I think it's been over an hour. Okay, okay. Um, I'm trying to... I'm going to try and keep them, uh, I think, around an hour and a half and under two. Um, that sounds good. Yeah, because um, I think we're going to have lots to talk about as time goes on, and I just want to make sure, because you, you actually brought up almost everything on your own that I wanted to touch on again with you this time. I know I wanted to speak to you about those, uh, was it seven justices? Seven judges got disqualified. That doesn't mean they lost their jobs, it just right. means they were sitting in front of me. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and, uh, yeah. And the reasoning for that is, they tested me to the point of intimidating me and jamming me. Wow. When all I had done was ask questions, not them. Yeah. So here we have an observation that doesn't matter what you're asking. Can a question be held as contemptuous? Mm -hmm. When we look at logic and understanding grammar and the language that we have, can, is there any way possible that a question can be deemed as contemptuous? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to hazard no, but I could. I could think of. You know, if if the only way that I could be um, disagreeable was by asking questions, I could find a way to do it. <laughs> well, well, what the, the defensive position of it is when the questions being asked expose you then the, the hypervigilance of intimidating the one asking the question is usually the historically best defense. That right. intimidation has worked for centuries. And so they huff and puff and they growl at you. That's, that's okay. You know what? I'm also glad you said that because um, I've been talking about, believe it or not, I actually had to look this word up a couple of weeks ago because I'd heard so many people using a phrase called gaslighting that I didn't really know what it was. So I, I did a little bit of study into it. And yeah, okay. And now I know what now I know what it is, and it is a very common tactic that everybody uses. Like everybody has probably gaslit somebody in their lifetime at least once, um, you know, on varying levels. Because telling your child that, oh come on, just dust it off and it's not that bad. That's that's a very mild form of gaslighting. Because to the child, <laughs> falling and scraping his knee is the end of the world at that particular moment. Okay, so. You telling them it's not a big deal, it doesn't hurt that bad, that's not helping, that's gaslighting. But anyway, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so so this is what they do. When when uh, I have my situation with Ontario Works... That's not my understanding of gaslighting. Well, okay, what's yours? I'll, I'll tell you what I think is gaslighting in a legal tactic. Gaslighting is a very dim view, okay, a very select narrow view because a gaslight doesn't go very far right so gaslighting is you put a small light on one negative area and it gets focused on that's gaslight interesting um yeah like i actually i i actually read the i, I don't know a definition from a psychologist who who basically deals with gaslighting and that was her that was her explanation and she goes from like small Examples like the one I gave of a child, you know, hurting its knee or whatever. Basically, gaslighting she defined as a psychological attack, which attempts to um, confuse an individual with respect to their own reality. So yeah. you're saying that the reality that they're experiencing isn't real; it's all in their head, basically. Well, the reason it first came up as a term because gaslight never threw much of a light. It was short, right? right. It, was, it was dim lit. Yeah. Dimly lit. So people couldn't see the full scope of what was going on. But you, right. could, tarnish, you could tarnish somebody in that dim light. So Just by doing it very subtly over and over and over again. Yeah. 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 Like it says, gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt 
in a targeted individual or group, making a question their own memory, perception, or judgment. Perfect. Yes. And it will changes in them such as cognitive dissonance or low self-esteem, rendering the victim additionally dependent on the gaslighter for emotional support and validation. So again, the gaslighter right. is the one emitting that dim light. Okay, that's the perfect definition, and that's probably textbook because that that's very close to what I I remember reading. So what I did is I, you know, I assessed that the review of my complaint to Ontario Works was incorrect and unreasonable because they were asserting that all they did was come back and, and show me what they're required to do under the Act. And I said, okay. I said, but the reason that this is incorrect and unreasonable is because this act and these actions violate the Bill of Rights. They, they violate um, my inherent rights as an international citizen, and both international law and federal law are superior in jurisdiction and authority to the Ontario Works Act. I also included Canadian superior case law examples of, uh, it was actually from the Ministry of Community, or Children's and Community Services, Children something, it was the Ministry of Children and Daycare or something, but they had filed um, a complaint against uh, the Ministry of Daycares for trespassing upon their right to autonomy over their own health care, um, that they cannot impose uh, upon an individual to seek health care for any reason. Um, and yeah, they basically write me back and they just said, our decision is final and uh, um, your emails have been considered uh, inappropriate and may be considered harassment or something like that. So, Also, oh, they intimidated you. Well, they're trying. That's what they're trying to do. It was a very, they were very diplomatic about how they put it in the letter. Um, first of all, they didn't give any examples of how I'd been appropriate. They just said several of your last emails have been inappropriate. They don't give examples of how they were inappropriate. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, whatever. I, I'm not even going to get into that because as far as I'm concerned, there was no reason for them to send that email to me. Um, I hadn't communicated with anybody in, I don't know, a while <laughs> since, since I'd last needed to communicate with them, which was at least a week ago, maybe a bit more. And, uh, Do you have any idea what would have been inappropriate? No. Like, honestly, no. Not, not, not in the context that I was using. I mean, when I first got that response, I sent an initial, uh, I don't know, quick page or whatever, stating why it was incorrect and unreasonable. But, I mean, I was also furious about it because... But they're they're not even like being compassionate. Do you know what I mean? It's just like yeah, no, we admitted no wrongdoing and you know whatever. So I wrote the initial um, blurb about how Canadian and federal law or international and federal laws are superior in jurisdiction and authority. And then there was like maybe three more emails with afterthoughts, like maybe another paragraph. And then I included a link to the Ontario. Uh, to the Covenant on Civil, Civil and Political Freedoms, I think. And then uh, and then I sent one more notice to them that was notice of criminal liability and said, look, you know what? <laughs> I'm placing you on notice of criminal liability for breach of trust. 
and uh, spoil Oh, and that's what they said was inappropriate. Probably. Probably. That's probably what's inappropriate, and I said that they have until uh, April 22nd to respond. You have evidence that points out the scope of a breach of trust, where the trust that they were put upon as fiduciaries for your account has now been breached because they're engaged in intimidation and nuisance. Yeah. Well, if you have proof of that, you certainly have a duty as a minister to warn them. Thank you. And that's exactly what I did. And so I'm not warning them again. I think that's what they want, actually. I think that when they sent me, I just got that letter of warning yesterday. And then I got the... the I think you better send it back, Ezekiel 33, 1 through 10, advising them to read that before you was, they assume you're making use of any of their law, you're merely of your duty performing a function and you're calling, officially warning them and reminding them of their obligation under that international covenant. Right. To bear special attention. <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to uh, like review this call after it's done and, and write down oh, no. write down some key times for people so that when because uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna like put it up on on the podcast platform that I use and then for the description I'll put a brief summary of what we're talking about and then you know when we're talking about something that I find really interesting or think people should know. I'm going to put little uh, time markers along the side so that people can just skip to that part of the video or, or podcast, not video, but audio, um, to get the information that they want. But yeah, this has been amazing. Okay. All right, well, then we should probably close up our session then, and it's been a great pleasure uh, putting this together for those out there that might get a chance to listen to this that find that it's an advantage to have a little bit of knowledge in the wake of so much confusion. Absolutely. It's more to come. And uh, just before we head off, I'm sometimes I have a bad memory and I, you know, whatever. Um, but you said that you wanted to maybe speak a little bit about things that we would be talking about in future episodes. So, uh, or... or yeah, mainly what I would like to tell people is how to get this agreement, the elusive agreement, and the opposing, the opposing factor to argument, of course, where the, all the money, power, and directive comes from if you're engaged in argument. So once you understand the simple concept, you're shifting yourself from the liability of argument to the freedom of agreement. Right. Once you understand that concept, it's, it's very, very simple. It is childlike. It's embarrassing. <laughs> once you realize it's been that simple all along, it's never been complicated. That's when the ego sits back and goes, oh my God, time to take a vacation. I'm in school mode now. Well, you know what? That is that is a great place to pick up on that because, uh, as I said, I, I agree with that philosophy. And you know what? I was beginning to actually feel that way um, until very recently because uh, I, I had some trust agreements set up <laughs> with government representatives and that felt very good. It was very empowering. I still have those documents. They still are as real and legally binding as they were at the time, but uh, they're now dishonoring them. So we'll talk about that a little bit more next week and how to proceed when somebody does break an agreement that somebody has made with you in good faith as a spiritual man. Does that sound good? Sounds great, Sean. Right on. Well, thank you so much for giving some of your time to me today, Edward. I know how valuable that is to everybody. And uh, yeah, may you have many blessings and good returns over the next week until we meet again and beyond. <laughs> You're welcome, brother. All right. Have a wonderful evening. Okay, you too. Ciao.
Bye.